Hello, First Baptist Church family. This is Tyler Sulfridge recording our online Sunday school lesson for the week. It's been a while since I got to record one of these, but I'm certainly excited and happy to have the opportunity to walk through Scripture with you all now. And I've heard many of you guys as we've walked through Job together and as that study has wrapped up, many of you, it sounds like, are actually sad that that study's going to end, which is a great encouragement to us. But I really do believe you're going to enjoy this next study just as much. That's my hope and that's my prayer. We're actually going to stay in the same type of literature, the same genre, just like the book of Job. Now as we turn our attention to the book of Ecclesiastes, this falls into the same category of wisdom literature. Wisdom literature, which biblically speaking, it contains the book of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, and of course the book that now we are looking at Ecclesiastes. So go ahead and open up your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes. And this recording, it will serve more as, as an overview of the book. We will talk about who Solomon is, the author. We'll highlight some of the content and some of the things that he says about God and some of the things that he says about himself and some of the things that he says about life. And just generally where our Lord is moving us as we read through this book. So let's start simply with the type of literature that we find in the book of Ecclesiastes. Like we just said a moment ago, this is what we categorize as wisdom literature. But let's ask the question, what is wisdom literature in the Bible? Proverbs 9, 10 tells us this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So we see clearly then that there is a distinction between knowledge and wisdom as God deals with the two subjects. Wisdom is different than knowledge, but we also have to understand that they are really inseparably linked. One dictionary definition of wisdom is this, the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Essentially, I think that we can say biblical wisdom is acting rightly in accordance to the truth that we know. Let me say that one more time. I think that we can say biblical wisdom is acting rightly in accordance to the truth that we know. We as Christians, of course, we seek to act rightly, whether that's acting in accordance with the truth explicitly laid forth in Scripture or understanding generally what God expects of us based on biblical principles. So we can act rightly, meaning we can act wise, biblically speaking, even when God hasn't laid forth exactly what it is that he expects of us, we can take some of these biblical principles that we know. Now, as it pertains to the book of Ecclesiastes, we're in good hands with the author, which is uh, Solomon. Let me ask you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 9 really, really quickly for us so that we can kind of set the scene for uh, why wisdom, literature, and Solomon are so closely linked. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statue of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said this, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. 
and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Verse 9, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? So here is Solomon, and he is given the opportunity to ask the Lord for whatever it is that he could imagine. And he asks the Lord for wisdom. He he knows God. He's in close communion with Him. He trusts Him, and he understands that God is sovereign, and He is not. And so therefore, he needs help in acting rightly on behalf of God toward the people. So rather than riches... Rather than health and a long life and a long reign, rather than great power or anything else, Solomon asks for wisdom. He asks for help. And he says, this is who you are, Lord. This is what you have done, and I need you, O Lord, to do it again. Now hear the Lord's response in light of that. This is Solomon coming to the Lord, and he's asking wisdom. He's confessing who the Lord is and his need for help. And the Lord responds in uh, verse 12, and he says this, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. When Solomon asks for wisdom, the Lord gives it to him and, and he gives him great wisdom. In this verse, wisdom, though, is marked by something. It's marked by discernment. God even tells him that that none like him has ever been or ever will be again. And with a statement like that, which man could we trust more than the man Solomon here to give us wisdom that comes directly from the Lord? I know you all know this, but Solomon actually wrote much of the other wisdom literature as well that we uh, named earlier. And our church that we recently brought in a professor from Southwestern Seminary to come and to train us as we prepared to teach Job and Ecclesiastes. And he gave us a really interesting perspective on the life of Solomon as it develops through his readings. And he said this, we can think of the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, to be the young man, the young Solomon, as he is experiencing a love relationship for the first time in his life, and all of that emotion and all of that heart is coming out. Then many of the Proverbs show a middle-aged king that is still learning from the Lord, and he's still gleaning from the knowledge that was passed down to him from his father, David, But now it is his turn to begin to dispense that wisdom as well. He's finally in the Proverbs. He's given the opportunity to be the one that is leading. And he's leading God's people. And this is exactly what he asked wisdom for in 1 Kings, that passage that we just read. So the book of Proverbs shows King Solomon leading the people and seeking to lead the people well. That was an especially encouraging thought for me because as I've walked through ordination training with Pastor Keith for more than a year and a half now, really, I've read many articles and books about pastors who continue to grow and develop their theology even after they were installed as pastors. And many of you listening, you're, you're older than I am, and I know you are thankful for the fact that God doesn't leave us where we are in knowledge and in wisdom as He takes us from life stage to life stage. 
we continue to grow in His grace and we continue to grow in His wisdom as men become husbands and and ladies become wives and together you all become parents and then you begin to parent adult children and then uh, we get to work with students in, at, here at First Baptist Keller, and we watch students go from preteen to middle school to high school, and then they're making college decisions, and the whole way we are calling on the Lord and learning to ask more and more wisdom from Him. So finally, the book of Ecclesiastes, it serves as a picture of the now old King Solomon that is looking back. He's reminiscing about his reign as king, his wealth and prosperity, his power, his family, relationships he cultivated, and the sorrows and joys that have come just simply with living life. And the word Ecclesiastes refers to an assembly, like our word for church, which is ecclesia. So Solomon is writing these things to God's assembled people, this assembly, that they may learn from an elder and live wisely as they experience many of the same things and, and are presented with many of the same temptations and even struggles that Solomon had. So like I said a moment ago, this recording, it's, it's really more of an introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes, but we also have a couple different passages that we want uh, to cover with our time together. So look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 12, I'm going to read uh, through verse 15, and it says this, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So after his familiar opening where he introduces some of the themes that he traces throughout the letter, such as vanity of vanities and striving after wind, we get to verse 12 where he sets up the way that he's going to look back over his life. I lived in Kentucky until I was 11 years old, and I remember riding down these back roads with my parents and siblings, and oftentimes on our way home, they would turn on this radio program called The Rest of the Story, hosted by a man named Paul Harvey. I'm sure some of you remember him, but on his radio program, he sought to educate his listeners or, or to make a point, make people think, or just bring a different perspective as he did this through story. In the rest of the story, this program, he would present a scenario, for example, about someone that had all the odds stacked against them, but with determination and effort, they would eventually grow up to be someone famous or accomplish something great for the world. He would show how the odds were stacked against them and develop the way that they would overcome it, and all the while, he wouldn't tell you really what they accomplished or who they were until the very end. So he would have this main point that he would tease and that he would hold out, but you wouldn't know it until the very end. Then, of course, you would know once he told you the rest of the story. Meaning you finally got the main point, but you had to wait until the end with anticipation. Ecclesiastes is like that. Solomon has a main point, but he doesn't say it right away. He makes his point through throughout the letter by telling his story, and then he tells us at the very end 
what the main point was so that we know the whole story, exactly what it was, the whole reason why he, um, why he tells us about his life, why he tells us about experiences, why he tells us about God and how he's related to God in different stages of his life. But we have to wait until the very end to see exactly what Solomon is putting forward to us. So in verses 12 and 13, he sets the stage. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So he is king. He has been ruling, and he is now old, and he is going to tell us, those in this assembly again, what his life experiences have been. His life has, has afforded him the opportunity to search and experience as much as anyone ever has. I know that many of us just this week or the last couple of weeks, we've watched as Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, flew into space, and he did it just the other day. He's just a civilian with no real experience in the field, but because he is one of the wealthiest men on the planet, he was able to afford an experience that few could ever even imagine. And here we see Solomon, and he is saying that I had that same opportunity in my day. I experienced unmatched wealth. I experienced unrivaled power. I experienced unsurpassed fame. I experienced the highest education standards, and I experienced unprecedented relationships. All that life could offer one person was offered to Solomon. And with all that, he says in verse 13, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And so that feels like quite a twist to the story. And he doubles down on it in verse 14 when he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. I read one guy summarize Solomon's introduction like this. His message in Ecclesiastes is just as relevant today. People think to themselves all the time, if I could just have more money, more pleasure, more success, then I would really be happy. But Solomon had everything and tried everything. And in Ecclesiastes, perhaps at the end of his life, he tells us, no, all of that is meaningless. So that's how one guy summarizes really the whole story of Solomon. Solomon wants the reader to understand how fleeting the worldly things are, worldly pleasures and pursuits and fulfillment are, even worldly fame and worldly uh, riches. All of these things are passing away. So this introduction, it actually reminded me of 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. And John says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So First Baptist Keller, we have to be so careful as Christians in what we love, in what we desire and invest our lives in. And this message from the wise old King Solomon is going to show us that deliberately. As he walks us through so many specific life circumstances, he's going to be asking us the question, what is it that you ultimately value? And one of the primary things that we have to focus on in our lives and one of the primary things that takes up time in our lives is our work. So if your Bible is still open, flip over to the next chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18 through 26, and then we'll walk through it. Solomon writes, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. 
So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Verse 22, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. And then finally, he writes this in verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. One commentary on Ecclesiastes entitles this section of scripture simply, Work is Meaningless. And I don't think that that's outright Solomon's point in writing those verses. I do think he's challenging the reader to consider the weight that they place on work, though. So let's take this passage and let Scripture form our view of labor or toil or work, whatever word your version of the Bible uses there. We really see two warnings that that put our work into perspective in verses 18 through 23. First, at some point, all that we have All that we've worked for, all that we've uh, sought to possess, all that we've labored for will no longer be ours. Look at verse 18 and 19 again. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So it's important to keep a healthy perspective on work because all that we have and all that we're seeking to gain, it must be passed to another someday. Think about the perspective from which Solomon is writing here. He's the king. He came to the throne after David, and he would reign for 40 years. Even he, the wisest, the most powerful, the wealthiest and most influential man in the known world at that point is saying that even he must leave his efforts and his kingdom and his people to another. Furthermore, whoever it is that that takes over that uh, throne, they haven't toiled for it in the same way. They haven't labored over it in the same way. They haven't gotten the same experiences. They haven't cared for it so long and hurt so deeply over it. And Solomon says that the person that he's going to pass it over to, for all he knows, could be wise or a fool. So the next man up for us or the next woman up could be a fool and blunder all that it is that we've sought to build and made our life's purpose. Even if they are no fool, though, and they do continue to press on and do really well, they still will almost assuredly have different values and desire to accomplish things that we never did or never even thought of or do things in an entirely different way than ourselves. So it's important that we understand that we not let our work serve to store up treasure on earth where rust and moth destroy. And that is, of course, a reference to Matthew chapter 6. And let me read starting in verse 19. I'm going to read through 
24, this is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There's another warning in these verses, though. Look starting in verse 22, back to Ecclesiastes now. Solomon writes this, What has man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So the second warning is this. You don't get to enjoy all of the fruit of your labors if you're only laboring to gain more fruit. I like listening to old country music, as you probably assumed when I said I was raised in Kentucky. And in the 70s, a guy named Waylon Jennings started singing this song called Lukenbach, Texas. And at one point, Jennings wrote these words. And I'm not going to sing them for you. I'm just going to read them for you. But he said this, We've been so busy keeping up with the Joneses. I almost want to sing it. Four car garages and we're still building on. Maybe it's time we get back to the basics of love. The point is this. He wants to keep life in perspective. And if, if you can just get back to loving each other, then all of life will be better and it'll take care of itself. Solomon's point for us is in all of these different pursuits in life, whether it's a love pursuit or some sort of relational pursuit or even a work pursuit, which is the immediate context that he's talking about here, if we want to find true joy and contentment in these, we must keep them in perspective. And I really think that's the warning, especially for those of us who struggle with working too much or those that end up finding their identity in what they do rather than in who they are. So in the same way that God stopped and he rested and he enjoyed what he had created on the seventh day, we should do the exact same. We should stop and enjoy what God has gifted us with the ability to labor in. And furthermore, as God is the one who is creating out of nothing all the way back in Genesis, we have to understand that we don't create out of nothing that we only are able to function in what God has gifted us to labor in, and we can only accomplish what it is that He gives us the ability to do. So trust the Lord in that, and I think we can rest in it more soundly. Now, we must ask the question, what does wisdom say is a healthy perspective on work? Let me read verses 24 through 26 one more time as we wrap up. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. Verse 26, For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. 
So we've moved past the warning of Solomon to his encouragement and how to pursue work, and not just that they are to pursue work, but how to keep it truly in perspective. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says this, to, to talk about and make the point that work is certainly important. Paul wrote to Timothy, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul would also write in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, we would give you this commandment when we were there. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So we're not saying in this study, and Solomon certainly isn't, that work isn't important. Solomon references eating and drinking in verse 24, and this speaks to the provision that the Lord provides through our efforts in working. It's a blessing for us then and should cause us joy knowing every day that we are working and that we are providing for the physical needs of our wives or husbands or children or elderly parents or grandparents. We can find enjoyment in work for what it is, and it is a means through which we provide. We can't leave it there, though, because Solomon doesn't, so the Bible doesn't, so God doesn't. Solomon goes on to say in verse 24 and 25, This also I saw, this work, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Clearly, we aren't only discussing provision and work and diligent labor. Now Solomon has brought in how to find joy and contentment in our efforts, not just work for work's sake, but to actually have enjoyment in it. Work is from the hand of God, and that means that he has made us to labor. Even before Adam and Eve ever fell in the garden and, and that they wanted to be like God, he had given them work to do. So let's make sure that we aren't thinking of work as one of the consequences for sin. Danny Aiken actually said this, In the beginning, God designed the world so that we would enjoy the material blessings he gave us as a means to worship him. As we ate, drank, enjoyed our spouse, and enjoyed our work, it would cause us to thank God for His goodness. But human sin distorted that, so now we look to the created things for the satisfaction only God can give. I know that you guys can understand this, that we have used work, and it's something that God has created for us to find enjoyment in, but we've used it as a means to just look at it and find contentment in it, but we are called to use work as a means through which we find our contentment and our joy ultimately in God. So a part of being made then in the image of God is the blessing of displaying and seeking His glory in our work. Therefore, working with the knowledge that we are created in the image of God and called to display His good character in our whole lives, it should motivate us to work with the Great Commission at our hearts. So when we go to work and we don't complain or gossip, and we don't steal or lie, but instead we seek to submit to our authorities, we seek to serve our co-workers, we seek to practice uh, integrity with the company's finances, and we speak honestly to customers, we are actively participating in God's design to show His love and glory through those that He has redeemed, that He may redeem more. In this book, The Gospel at Work, it's a book that I was working through um, as I prepared for this lesson. The title of it is The Gospel at Work. The author asks this question, how can I do my work not just as a way to put food on the table, 
but as a sold-out disciple of Jesus. And the answer that he said is in part like this. Our jobs are one of the primary ways God intends to make us more like Jesus. He uses our work to sanctify us, develop our Christian character, and to teach us to love Him more and serve Him better until we join Him on the last day in resting from our labors. So church, as it pertains to wisdom, listen and meditate on these words from Solomon. Let wisdom penetrate every part of our lives that in the whole of our being and specifically in our work here, that we may glorify God, that His character might be on display for the whole world. Let me pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You have revealed Yourself to us, and You've given us the opportunity, Lord, to come before You and to know You and to be in communion with You and to be in relationship with You. But, Lord, You've also called us to seek out and and search our hearts that we may know every aspect of our lives that we may be glorifying and seeking to glorify you more in every aspect so father for first baptist keller i just ask that you would uh, move and motivate our hearts through this your word in ecclesiastes that we would live wisely through what we know that we may be motivated to love the people around you and especially seek to serve you and glorify you in everyday life And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.